Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today is a very special episode of the show. Today is our 53rd episode, which also happens to be our one-year anniversary of The Stacks. I didn't know what to expect when the show first aired on April 4th, 2018. And honestly, I am blown away by the smart, thoughtful, engaging, generous community we all have built together. I cannot believe all the love and support from so many of you around the world. And I'm honored to make this nerdy little podcast. So thank you to everyone who's downloaded an episode or subscribed to the show. Uh, People who've written reviews, commented on our Instagram, shared the show with their friends, um, suggested a book, or joined the Stacks Pack over on Patreon. I am so, so grateful to all of you. So thank you. And I'm really excited to make year number two even better. So we are making a few changes around here. And one of the things is that we're launching Ask the Stacks. It's a new mini segment where we'll be suggesting personalized book recommendations to listeners. All you have to do is email askingthestacks at gmail.com and send us a few sentences about what kind of book you're looking for. And then myself and the guest will give you our suggestions for a book that we think you should read. You can hear the first ever Ask the Stacks today. So listen up and then send us your requests for recommendations by going to askingthestacks at gmail.com. Something that's not changing around here is Patreon. We've still got our community for those of you who love the show and want to support the work we're doing, like our newest member, Tara Marino. I have to say, without the generosity of this community, there is no way that the Stacks would still be up and running an entire year after starting. The Stacks Pack allows for this podcast to exist quite literally, and I am beyond grateful for them. If you want to join and be a part of making this show a reality every week, all you do is go to patreon.com slash the stacks and pick a tier that works for you. It can be as little as a dollar a month. And then you earn awesome perks like our virtual book club. And now you'll have priority for Ask the Stacks. So if you're interested, go to patreon.com slash the stacks. And if that's not something that works for you, a monthly contribution, don't worry about it. You can consider one-time contributions at paypal.me slash the stacks pod. Remember, you can shop through the links in the show notes to support the show. We earn a small commission and you get your books, so everybody wins. Plus, now you'll notice we have links with IndieBound in addition to Amazon. IndieBound is a company that supports independent bookstores, so if that's more your style, that's available to you too. 
for our first birthday, the only gift I'm really asking for is a review. If you haven't done it yet, please, please, please rate and review the show wherever you're listening. It's super easy and it helps a small little podcast like this reach much wider audiences. Our most recent review comes from Shoopington, who says, I can't wait to hear each new show and see what interesting new book is going to get discussed. Also, Tracy is always hilarious and so much fun. Thank you so much, Shoopington. That's very kind of you. You know, I try really hard to be fun. So thanks for noticing. (laughs) Okay. Our guest this week is Ben Blacker. Ben is a TV writer, podcaster, author, and more. He is a real-life Renaissance man with amazing taste in books. So let's go talk to Ben. All right, I'm here today with Ben Blacker. Ben is the co-creator and host of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, which is a live show and podcast. He's also the host of a few other podcasts. He's an author of a book called Hex Wives, and he's a TV writer, among many other things, which I'm sure we'll talk about. So Ben, welcome to The Stacks. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited you're here. Oh, thank you. I I love the show. There are so few great shows about books and reading um, that when I find one, I'm just like, I'm all over it. This just made my day. Thank you so much. Um, I like the show too. I have fun. I get to talk to people (laughs) like you about reading. And then I get to add all the books you talk about to my reading list. And then I get to hate you for making my reading list like 500 books long. Right. That's the thing. They're worse problems to have. Okay. So why don't you kind of tell us about yourself generally, like maybe where you're from, maybe like anything that we might want to be interested in. I don't know. I always open it up like that. And people always look at me how you looked at me like, like, um, I don't know. We're off to a rollicking start. (laughs) Um, I am a writer. Um, I will write what everyone, what anyone pays me to write, uh, which is, has been TV, uh, movies, comic books, uh, novels. Um, I will, I'll, I'll write anything. Um, you know, it's writing is writing. I usually work with a partner, uh, his name is Ben Acker. Those are our real names. I know, uh, I, which is, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. We get a lot. Like, is that, uh, uh? And we knew like we had done things that are worthwhile when we went to meetings and that wasn't the first thing people asked about. <laughs> right. Oh, That's all right. <laughs> we got some traction now. You're like, we actually are talented aside right. from being a comedy duo. <laughs> right. Um, in 2005, we created a show called The Thrilling Adventure Hour. It was a stage show and podcast in the style of old time radio. We shut it down in 2015 or 2016. Uh, and But we've recently started it back up, not as a live show, but just as in-studio um, narrative podcast recordings um, featuring all of our old cast, which is amazing and a bunch of great new guest stars. It's a lot of fun. And you have some like pretty cool people who are on it, like some pretty like names that I was like, oh, that's fancy. Yeah, we've been really lucky, especially in doing the live show. We did it every month for 10 years. Oh we wrote a new 80-page script every month. And we had the incredible core cast of like Paula Tompkins and Patrick Brewster and Josh Molina, Busy Phillips, Mark Evan Jackson, a bunch of great people. Um, and then we would get these guest stars, which was just like, I think it was in large part because a lot of these actors wanted to do something in front of a live audience, but right. they never really got a chance. So they were getting this like theater experience that they either had when they were younger or that they never had, but right. learned for. So people like John Hamm, um, J.K. Simmons, like we just had these crazy guests That's so uh, over cool. the 10 years. It was a lot of fun. Do you actually, can you name a favorite or is that like a faux pas? Like a favorite episode that maybe people, if they want to go back and listen would be um, 
we we recently moved to a new network and okay. we took down all of our old episodes except for 50. Okay. Uh, we did 250 or so episodes. Holy um, moly. So we have 50 episodes still up there, any one of which are great jumping on points. I think uh, we did a series. Uh, the, the nature of the show was basically three segments of genre comedy stories. Right. There was a space western. There was sort of a Nick and Nora Charles plus the supernatural uh, thing, which I think that, which is called Beyond Belief, is the best place to jump on. Okay. And any of the episodes that we have up on iTunes you'll be able to jump right in, you know, go to the older ones because uh, the newer ones are a little bit different because they are in studio, but it's Paul F. Tompkins and Padgett Brewster as these married mediums. They have an incredible chemistry. Paul and Padgett have been friends for like 30 years. It's amazing. Um, so for them to finally be in a thing together and like show off their incredible chemistry. And then for us, it's just like writing two people who the subtext of everything they say is that they love each other it's it became a metaphor for marriage you know mm. it's them against the world uh, and that was always sort of how we thought about writing it and what the world was was all these weird supernatural things happening okay i want to ask you about something you said a little bit earlier which is that writing is writing mm -hmm. you're the first writer that i've had on this show that has said anything even close to that usually they talk about kind of like what they do, whatever their genre is, whether they're a TV writer or like a screenwriter, whether they're an author of nonfiction or fiction. So talk a little bit about kind of that viewpoint because that's new to me. Um, I think I knew from the time I was a kid that I wanted to write. Okay. Um, I loved comic books. I think I knew I wanted to write comic books, to be honest, and it's taken me 40 years to break into it. But you Sorry. made it! <laughs> Ish. It's funny. I mean, we can talk about this later, but I was having a conversation with another comic writer friend who just had two of her books canceled and they're great books. Um, and she's just like, comics will break your heart every time. Like you, you have to give it everything you have, but it's, it's a corporation, right. you know, uh, which TV is too. And I think, you know, I always love movies. I love TV, but I love writing. I, you know, I love telling stories. Um, I've been lucky enough to work with a writing partner for over 15 years and we just have a great time coming up with stories, whatever the medium mm -hmm. is. You so you know? kind of focus in on whatever the story is and then lean into the medium. Well, I think, you know, at this point we sort of get opportunities in different places. Okay. Our, our goal is always TV uh, okay. and film. Um, that's what we do. But when we were starting out in 2005, we weren't getting those jobs. We were of course. too new. We didn't know anybody. So when we started writing our stage show, it was just, to us, it was just more writing. Mm -hmm. You know, it just meant it was cheap to produce. Right. Um, and we did, we had this old time radio conceit out of practicality because we knew we wanted to have these great actors do it and we didn't want to give them a lot of stuff to memorize. So they'd be holding Hold scripts the and script. like, oh, that looks like old time radio, right, right. which we had really no concept of. We only did research right. later. You were like, how can we make this work? Yeah, totally. Um, and I think that kind of instilled in us that, you know, it doesn't really matter what the medium is. Enjoy the process. Make the thing as good as you can for that, for the medium you're working in. And, you know, for years, because we were concentrating so much on television, we'd sit down and go, you know, we really should write a movie. Our reps want us to write a movie. Um, and everything we came up with, we were like, oh, that's that's a TV show. <laughs> Isn't it more fun as a TV show? Right. It takes Now it takes thinking about, like, what's the best medium for this idea? Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes it's a comic. and some Like this book, Hexwives, that I have out right now um, from DC Vertigo, I came up with like four or five years ago and I knew it was a comic, mm -hmm. you know, 
it certainly could be a TV show. It certainly could be a movie. But I felt like the best form for it was a comic because of the serialized storytelling. Because I wanted, I wanted as pure a vision as I could get. And comics has just a handful of collaborators. You know, if you get a great editor, a great artist, a I great see. colorist, a great letterer, then that's your whole team. And if you can get them all on the same page, you don't have to communicate with you know, 50 other departments. You're communicating with right. five people. Wait, and that's the case like in television. Right. Where you have a lot more. Exactly. And there's less money involved, obviously, but that also means you get to have a much cleaner uh, uh, vision expressed on the page. Right. And I think that's what we've been lucky enough to get with Hexwise. And do you have a preference or a job? Is a job and you're happy to be writing for money kind of thing? There's some of that. Some of that. Um and I don't mean that in a disparaging way. No, As an artist, I it's like <laughs> I understand like what a joy to be able to do what you yeah. want to do for money. And totally. if it's a job, like that's a great day. So yeah. I, I mean it in that way, of course. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, there is some of that. Um, I don't think I do have a preference. I think whatever I'm doing in the moment is right. sort of like, oh, why don't I do this all the time? <laughs> right. You're like, oh, this is fun. And then you get tired of it. And you're like, oh, now I can do a comic yeah, book. Or, or now I can write even, a novel. Yeah, it's not even getting tired of it. It's just the switching gears. Yeah. Um, and and I'll do like I'll do TV stuff in the morning and comic stuff in the afternoon or whatever. Oh wow! And it's still like oh, comics is way better in the afternoon. Uh, uh, well, f- because <laughs> it's only compared to the thing I did. In the Got morning. it. <laughs> and then the next morning, I'm like, oh, TV is much better. Yes, comics is like this little haiku on the page. It's so much work. Well, it's that's so why hard. your resume is like all over the place because yeah. you're like a total renaissance man. You are like all the things at once. I think you just because and look as a creative person, you know. In any creative field, it's so hard to make a living. Yes. That if you don't enjoy the process, then there's no point in doing it. Well, and you'll find something else to do yeah. that you enjoy just as much right. and you can make money on. Right. Like if you only like your creative field 75%, why wouldn't you just find a job you only like 75% that pays <laughs> right. you every week? You know, Absolutely. like it's like I could be 75% happy. <laughs> And, yeah. and have a paycheck. Well, let's think that's the most any of us can hope for. Right. 75% happy. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I feel like when you're being creative, you can be 100% happy. <laughs> and sometimes I feel like the next day you could be 0% happy. And it kind of depends <laughs> on what the creative thing you're doing is, you know? I'm taking the uh, the median. The media, you're just 50, 50, 50 all times. <laughs> you're like, I'm 50% into this. Yeah. Um, I do want to kind of talk about your Dead Pilot Society podcast because sure. I thought that sounded really cool and interesting. And it was a show where you read pilots. Yes. You gave pilots that didn't get picked up a life. And people who are like airplanes, no. Pilots are the first episode of a television show that's sent to the network or sent to a bunch of people. And eventually a network will decide if they want to produce it. They'll make it a show. They'll like make the first episode and then they'll decide if they want to buy the whole show and have a season or a short season or whatever. So that first episode is a pilot. Yes. And it starts with writers. Usually sometimes it starts with producers. Yeah. But, but it someone starts, has to write it. Somebody writes mm-hmm. it. And then it goes on this journey that's usually about a year long. Yeah. Ish. If you're lucky. Once it gets going. Listen, I've had this one pilot in development sure. for a year and a half now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and there's right. no signs of it going away. Right. But this podcast was reading the pilots yes. that didn't get picked up. Yes. So it was Dead Pilot Society is a monthly podcast on uh, the Maximum Fun Network. It was created by a guy I know, a guy I didn't really know at the time okay. named Andrew Reich, who was a Friends writer. And he's really, he's kicked around for years. He's run shows. He sort of has a new pilot every year. Um, and he had so many pilots that didn't go to get produced. Right. And he was so bummed out about it and was like, <laughs> 
I know these are good. Right. And I know, like, he never got to have a table read or anything. Um, so he just started doing, and he invited me to the first one, these just table reads of, like, great actors reading these pilots that are really very good that didn't get made for whatever reason. Right. Um, and usually the reason is between the time that they were bought and the time that they were, that the decisions were being made about what would be produced is there was a regime change or mm. a mandate change at the network. Like, that's the story we hear over and over again. It's basically the network lost interest. Yeah. Um, so these great pilots never got heard. They never got seen. The writers themselves never got to see it. So he brought me in because it's sort of Dead Pilots is an amalgamation of the two shows I was doing already, which was Thrilling Adventure Hour, right. which was, you know, a staged show and um, a show I've been doing for six, seven years called The Writer's Panel, in which I talked to mostly television writers about the business and process of TV. Right. So I knew actors and I knew writers and that's what he needed. Right. He's like, can you please bring these things together for yeah. me? That's so awesome. But on um, Dead Pilot Society, it's not the same cast. It's a rotating no. cast of people. We use a different cast every time um, because there are so many great actors that we want to meet and work with. And So cool. We've been so lucky to have just in like incredible cast that I think I say at almost every live show, if this were actually made into a pilot, you couldn't afford these casts. Right. You know, they're so good. They're so sort of high profile. So um, cool. If people are looking for a jumping on episode, there are a few good ones. Okay. One of our very first ones was a show that uh, John Hodgman wrote for okay. FX called Only Child. Mm. And it was an autobiographical story about him growing up in the suburbs of Boston, being an only child and acting like a 40-year-old man. Uh, as an 11 or a 13 year old. Okay. And the premise of the show, which now uh, Pen15 on Hulu has sort oh, of. Oh, I done know this. those girls. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I went to college with them. Oh, did you really? Yeah. That show is great. Maya they're and really Anna. Anna. Yeah. They're, they're so funny. But, I, yeah. but John did the same concept. That's so of, funny. He would be playing himself, uh -huh. but all the other child actors would be children. Right. Um, and we did a performance of that with 13 year olds uh, and John, and it was so funny. It's a great script. And who directs this? Like, who's in charge in the space? Is anybody? <laughs> Not really. Okay. It's sort of a table read. You know, Andrew and I give sort of guidelines about how this goes. We do it on our feet. It's somewhere between a performance and a table read. Okay. Um, so the actors are standing at microphones. Uh, we do it at the Dynasty Typewriter Theater here in Los Angeles now. So cool. Uh, on like a Sunday afternoon because right. it's a no-pressure show. We just want right. people to have fun. It's such a great idea. And I... Like learning about you and what you do and like these live podcasts mm -hmm. that aren't just a podcast being recorded live. Yeah. Like it's that's a different thing. I think it's really cool. I just am curious kind of how you got in, like how you were like, this is an idea. I just like making stuff. Okay. To me, there's no value in writing something and then putting it in a drawer. Got it. You know, and like I said, um, Thrilling Adventure Hour came out of uh, my partner and me not getting work right like we were starting out and we wanted to get our voice out there and we wanted to hone our voice too mm -hmm. and we knew that writing a new monthly show would help us do that um he had done he had gone through the second city sketch writing okay. program so he sort of knew that performance thing we and we took like the best sketch performers from second city at the time um and he had written for paul of Tompkins' largo show as well okay so he knew paul and a lot of those largo guys um but really, it was just like, if no one's going to pay us to make TV, we still want to learn how to write stuff. We want to learn how to produce stuff. We want to learn how to work with actors. And, yeah. you know, it became a pretty big production by the end of it. Our last show was at the 
uh, theater at the Ace Hotel downtown, which is like a 1,600-seat theater. And we had a huge band, and we had, like, lighting. Like, it was way bigger. Way bigger than it's supposed than to be. the 100-seat theater right. that we started out at and, did, right. at, you know, did the show up for five years. Oh, it's so great. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why, for the last three-plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm going to kind of transition us a little bit because this is a podcast about books, allegedly. How is reading a part of your writing life? I used to teach high school. Okay. Oh, you did? What did did. you teach? I taught uh, 10th grade English in Boston. And then when I moved here to LA, I taught middle school English and 10th grade English. And middle school was awesome. Oh, really? I I had never taught middle school before and I was so afraid of it. Um, But the kids are so sweet and they're like, still kind of kids. Mm -hmm. And so they respect you automatically just because you're taller than they are. (laughs) So it was like, deal. I think about this all the time because I think about teachers that I had that were young. And I'm like, wait a second. (laughs) There was someone teaching me who was like 24 and I was like 16. And I thought that they were an adult and had their life together. And now I see them out and I'm like, I'm so embarrassed. Right. You have friends who are that age differential. Yes, my brother. (laughs) It's so weird. Like, it's so weird. 
And I just was like, yes, you know things. <laughs> and I guess like, you know, teachers do know things, but it's funny to think that like you think of your teacher, whether they're 65 or 23, yeah. as like being an adult who knows everything. Totally. Totally. And Until for- you become like 10th, 11th grade, then you're like, you don't know anything. Yeah. Well, I still thought my teachers were like smart That's and new true. things. Even, but that we had one teacher, Miss Wolf, who was like always a mess. And it didn't dawn on me till I was in college, where I was like, "Oh, she was hungover every day. Oh, no. Like she must have been hungover. Like her makeup was always a mess." But I just thought, like, "Oh, she's troubled." My <laughs> wife has the story about. I think it was when she was in middle school. Um, she moved around a lot as a kid, and she, but she had some teacher for the for two years in a row at some school. And I can't remember the details of it, but basically the teacher showed up on the first day of that second year and went, first of all, it's Ms. Robinson now. (gasps) (laughs) And they were all like, oh, we don't know what that means, but okay, you seem mad. (laughs) Oh, no. Teachers had lives. Teachers had lives. Who knew? They were people. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But anyway, so the thing, and I was teaching in my 20s, and the thing I didn't realize, and I was always a a reader, um, at least, you know, after high school. (laughs) Right. Um, When I wasn't being assigned books, I was always a reader. Um, And the thing I think I only realized through teaching, which seems so obvious, like we, I don't know why we're not taught this, the Mm -hmm. first thing about, about literature, is that literature is a way to experience someone else's life. Um, And as a writer, that's invaluable. Right. Right. Like this is the best way to get into another person's head. Mm-hmm. Um, anything on top of that, whether it's language or structure or genre or, or history or whatever, um, is bonus. But the best books teach us empathy. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of my position in teaching anything. I, my second 10th grade class that I had in Massachusetts, uh, I moved schools. And that I was sort of thrown into this situation because a teacher had left. And um, that teacher, the teacher who left, she just went on maternity leave. But she had done like all the good books in the first half of the year. Because she knew she was leaving. I think so. So I was left with like this random assortment of books. It was like Ballad of the Sad Cafe. And one that I wrote down here, uh, The Sailor Who Fell from Grace with the Sea by Yukio Mishima um, was a book I'd never heard of. And it's real dark. It's real. It's kind of upsetting. It's, you know, the author committed suicide. um, And but this is sort of his classic novel uh, about World War Two. And so like that was one of the books that was left over. (laughs) Jane Eyre was left over, which I was happy to do because I had taught it a couple times and teaching it. But so it's just like this weird hodgepodge of book. And I was like, how do I pull these together? Right. And it's okay. we're going to experience different points of view from yours. You know, you're all a bunch of suburban white kids. How can we make you understand what it is to be like a Japanese in a Japanese uh, World War II uh, prison camp? Right. And what that does to someone psychologically. And it's like it was a hard book. It was rough going. But I think at least I got something out right. of it. I hope the kids did too. Right. Well, I think probably if you're coming at it from that point of view, the kids are able to connect with it even if they don't like it. I hope so. I think that that was what was hard for me in school is like the teacher would be like, this book's amazing. And I'd read it yeah. and I'd be like, this book is not good. But it was never about like why the book is good. And I think as I've gotten older, I've realized like the books that I love the most are ones where I feel like I can connect with the characters. Absolutely. And I feel like if the my teacher had been like, oh, this book, like – the Awakening. Did you ever read that book? 
Let's buy like a Bronte or something. Yes. I don't, know. I don't remember. It's not, it, yeah. it was not something that I liked. <laughs> but if I'm sure if the teacher had been like, this is actually about a woman and like this and that and like she's learning and yeah. whatever. But this was that same teacher who was like always hungover. So she sure. wasn't like fully she prepared. She could be bothered. <laughs> she wasn't um, fully prepared. Yeah, I feel like there is, at least in my experience, in my high school and I went to public school about there's a problem in how we're taught literature, mm-hmm. which is we're not taught why we're being taught these books. Right. You know, and as much as... I went to a very like liberal, forward-thinking high school, but I was still very resistant to what I was being read because they didn't seem relevant Correct. to me. Correct. And they didn't have I didn't have to immediately identify with a character, mm-hmm. but I did need something about like, here's what this book has to say about and the world. And here's why I, as your teacher, thought this would be a good thing to totally. talk about. Because even if I had had that context, yeah. I'd be like, oh, we're reading this because it exempt like instead of just being like, this book has a lot of alliteration. Like, I right. don't care. Right. Give me a poem. Like, yeah. let's move on. And I think uh, I, my, my writing partner tells the story because he sat in on one of my classes one day. Oh, uh, I love that. And he talks about how I spent the first half of the class talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Because <laughs> to me, that the was... The TV show the or TV the movie? Because uh, it was a perfect show because it was a perfect metaphor, right? It was high school is hell. Mm-hmm. Okay, in this show, high school is literally hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and And I was telling the kids about how, like, metaphor plus story equals art. Right. Um, And I think we were reading Macbeth at the time. Mm. And like that's, all students are going to resist Shakespeare because it's an unfamiliar language. But I think if you're told at the front, here's what this is about. Right. Here's what the metaphor is. Like this is, yes, this is about a king and all that shit. Right. That you probably have no historical context for. Right. Because you don't cover that in your history class. Right. But here's what here's the theme of the book. You know, here's what the author is trying to either say or explore or whatever. Then I think it, there's at least a way in. Correct. Uh, and that's something we do with our own writing is like before we start anything. If you know, we actually did this recently. We're working on a feature and it's a great hooky idea. But I was stewing on it and I had to email Acker and say, like, I'm trying to figure out what this movie's about. Like, mm-hmm. What are we actually writing about? outside of the fun genre stuff mm. um, and hit on an idea. I was like, maybe it's this or it could be this. And does that work? Um, and he was like, oh, yeah, that clarifies everything. everything. Now we know how to tell this story and get rid of stuff that doesn't that don't apply to that. Right. And I feel like as a reader, you can tell when something when someone hasn't done that work. For sure. Like, what am I writing about? For sure. So today, this episode is episode number 53, which means that it's our first episode of the second year of The Stacks, which I'm super excited about. Thank you. And we're going to try something new. So you're going to be my guinea pig. I have asked listeners of the show to send in like a little blurb of whatever book recommendation that they want. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read it to you and then we're going to kind of spitball on what we think might be good for this reader. So our first guinea pig is Kara. Um, at Kara Reads on Instagram. And she says, I'm looking for a strong essay collection that blends personal with political. I loved Eloquent Rage, Heavy, which is a memoir, The Reckonings, Shrill, and Everything by Roxane Gay. I struggle with essay collections that try to touch on larger themes, but then don't go deep enough or explore enough. I felt this way about No One Tells You This by Glynis McNichol. I don't know any of those books. No. Okay. Well, heavy or what about like 
essay collections or some some of these are memoirs. Shrill yeah. is um, I, I know Shrill. They're making it in a TV show. Yeah, I read the. I, I I think I told you this before. Like I've been training for this podcast my whole oh, life. Yes, I've you. been getting the New York Times book review since <laughs> I was twenty years old. So some of these things like have popped up for yes. you. So I've definitely read reviews of okay. these things. I'm passingly familiar but well you've of heard of the reckonings because i tried to get you to do it with me on the show and you were like i think that's oh, too much yes but it's amazing and you and have I to read it. read it you have to read it it's so good and heavy is a memoir about it's kind of like coatsian like ta-nehisi coatsian yeah. it's a black guy's memoir about growing up in mississippi his name's kiasa layman he's written some other essay collections he's great okay. um which kara you should read kiasa's other essay collection, How to Die in America, I believe it's called. You would think I would write it down. Um, I also felt like you might be interested in um, Zadie Smith's Feel Free. They're essays kind of about her interpretation of the world. And while they're not heavily political, they are political and they engage with her mixed race background. And then if you haven't, Kara, check out Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. It's her advice column when she wrote as Dear Sugar for, um, do you know Dear Sugar? No. Okay. So Dear Sugar was an advice column for, um, oh my God, what's the name of the, it's like an online literary magazine, The Rumpus. Okay. So she did these advice columns. It was before she wrote Wild and before Wild came out in the world and she was anonymous. She was just sugar. Mm-hmm. And she would write these amazing articles or re- like responses. Like someone would write and be like, what the fuck? Like life is so hard, blah, blah, blah. And then she'd be like, the fuck is life? Like go live. Like I, and like she would like turn it around and be like, I was raped by my grandpa and like all this shit. And then be like, but that's okay. Cause we're here now. And like you, ha- like it just is really strong, beautiful advice in a way that's both loving and kind and also like get over yourself and go be a human in the world. That's so really interesting. It's um, one of the greatest advice things ever. Cool. Cause I hate advice. I'm usually like, I yeah. don't need your advice, <laughs> but she would be like, I'm really fucked up. And like, these are all these terrible things I've done. And like, you can do better. We can do better as humans. So those would be my suggestions, Kara. I have one that's a little outside, but this is not a kind of book I usually read. I don't read essays because I like, I've stopped putting them on my to read list because I just never read them. Okay. Um, but I read a great graphic, a book of graphic essays, um, called your black friend and other strangers by Ben Passmore, who is a writer and illustrator living in new Orleans. Um, and your black friend is the first, uh, essay in mm-hmm. it. and really that it's the best one okay. also, but they're all really interesting. But, um, he has sort of a cartoony style that, uh, makes his much bigger political and personal points somehow hit harder cause they Ooh. go down easier. Yeah. Um, but your black friend is about like, I know, I know what I am to you, my group of white friends. Right. Interesting. Um, and I, I see how you act around me, even though you think you're not acting differently. Mm-hmm. And as a white guy, it was eye-opening in a lot of ways, like the just the weird, subtle things that you do that just ingrained mm-hmm. because of how we live, that he can paint it both as like, I don't blame you for this. This is how the world is, but don't think I don't see it. It's a, it was a really interesting take on a personal race issue. I um, love that. And then that. he has sort of bigger stories about like New Orleans after Katrina and what what that world is, uh, stories about police brutality. Like 
he does these really interesting essays that are mostly your black friend is the longest one. It's maybe 10, 11 pages. All right. Uh, most of them are two or three pages uh, and they're all just great stories with a strong point of view presented like sort of illustrated journalism. I love that. That yeah, sounds really so awesome. And I think it's just out in paperback too. Okay, amazing. Okay, Kara, you have to let us know if you read any of these and what you think. And then for the rest of you who are like, I want to get a recommendation, email asking the stacks, spelled totally normal, asking the stacks <laughs> at gmail.com. Send us your few sentences of what you're looking for, and then whoever the guest is will give you an answer. All right, we're going to dive into Ben's questions now. Get it. Tell us, Ben, two yes. books you love and one book you hate. It was hard to think of two books I love. The first one that came immediately to mind was uh, Lonesome Dove. I don't know that. Get out. Well, you're a child. Okay. You're no, very young. I don't think I'm that much younger than you. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. Um, Lonesome Dove is a Western by Larry McMurtry. It was sort of his, I, it wasn't even his breakthrough. He had done Terms of Endearment. Like he had written a ton okay. of, um, uh, the last picture show. He'd written a ton of novels by that time, but Lonesome Dove is sort of his big epic story about a cattle drive going from Texas uh, to, I think, Montana. I haven't read it in 10 years. Um, and it's exactly the kind of book that I love, which mm -hmm. is sort of wryly funny characters who are faced with real world circumstances, um, but just sort of doing their best to get through. The other one that is of that type, that is one of my favorite books, is Nobody's Fool by Richard Russo. Um, which you may know the movie because Paul Newman loved Richard Russo and bought up the rights to all of his stuff. Oh, wow. So he made Nobody's Fool. He made Empire Falls, which was won the Pulitzer for Russo. Um, and Straight Man, which is not like, like those are sort of, they may as well, I love when authors write the same book over and over uh -huh. again. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. uh, and those are like small towns, um, I think upstate New York towns, uh, which is something I'm familiar with. I went to Syracuse and have family up there. Oh, okay. Um, where like people are just sort of scraping to get by, but they have a sense of humor about their circumstances. Um, Straight Man is actually the other kind of book I love, which is an academic novel. Um, it's, uh, you know, about a college professor and the terrible things that happen to him because he takes himself seriously. Uh, Wonder Boys by Michael Chabon is another one like that. But like... When you said name two books, I was like, oh, well. I know. It's hard. The Secret History I love. Okay. You, you've read this? No, I've not. Real, do you Is know it of it? Donna Tart? Yeah. Yeah, I know of it. I've not read a lot of books that you're going to say. I already know because I saw your list when you sent it to me and I was like, I don't know any of these books. So I'm kind of excited about it. The Secret History is I mean, I love um, genre. I, I mean, I love non-genre, which mm -hmm. is what Richard Russo is. It's what Michael Chabon is. It's, right. You know, any of the sort of great writers, but- um, I love when you can put a genre on something mm -hmm. and like that, that fuels the plot while you have these great characters. And, uh, the secret history is essentially a, I don't think it's a mystery. I think it's a, a thriller or a murder story. It's a crime story right. about a tight knit group of friends in college. Uh, one of whom is killed by the others Ooh. and it's about them covering up the crime um, but it, she's a deeply literary writer. I mean, she writes beautifully. Right. Um, and I read it for the first time, I think, after right after graduating high school. Oh. I think it was newly out at that time. Okay. And I was, I took a trip with some friends to Israel because my friend had, her, her grandfather lived there. Mm. So we went for like two weeks and I came down with a fever. Oh. And I was reading this book and I was hallucinating being in the book and like being with these characters. And it was 
both horrifying and thrilling. I love that. That's awesome. Like that's the relationship I have with that book. Okay. Um, And her other books are great too. Um, She did The Goldfinch a couple years ago, which I really enjoyed. And did are you a rereader? You said the first time. That one I've reread, Lonesome Dove I've reread. Um, there are a handful, and there are some that I'd like to reread this year. Uh, the Talented Mr. Ripley is a book mm. I love. I've never read it, but I'm familiar, obviously. Yeah, it's, she's a better writer than I think she gets credit for. She sort of belongs in that Raymond Chandler school of okay. noir writers. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, like it's just, especially the first book, it's sort of diminishing returns on the sequels. Got it. Um, but The Talented Mr. Ripley is... It's really gripping. And I think the movie did a good version of it. Yeah. Um, but it you, you're you not quite as inside the characters' heads as you are. Right. In the of book. course. Of course. Okay. What about a book you hate? I don't tend to read a book I hate. Okay. What's the uh, last book you started and we're like, I'm not finishing this? There are certain authors who I will pick up no matter what they've... Right. You know, whatever it is. Like Stephen King I will pick up, Richard Russo I will pick up. And both of their most recent books really disappointed me. Didn't work for you? That's yeah, a bummer. It's a bummer. What about the last like great book you read? Um, I just read Giovanni's Room mm. by James Baldwin. I so just good. finished that the other day. We did it on the show. Episode six. It's really oh, in the I beginning. Have to go listen to it. Yeah. We did it with a TV writer, actually. Oh, I don't want to listen to it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a really great book. It's yeah, I'd only read Go Tell It on the Mountain. Okay. And I think I only read that in college. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't super familiar with his stuff. And I remember it being, I remember his writing being poetic. Yeah. But I didn't really remember him having things to say when in fact yes. he has so, so much, much to, to say. say. It's true. It's true. He has so much to say. Um, Beale Street, I know they made it into a movie. I haven't seen the movie, I but it's either. really good. The book is really good. Yeah. I mean, I, I immediately threw all of his books on my Kindle yes, so I can of like, course. read them this year. Yeah. Um, I feel like saying James Baldwin's book is good is like kind of just like right. dumb to say. You know that. But also like it's, <laughs> I don't know. It, but it's we, worth we reiterating. Yeah. Our, our yeah. reading and he's not so like he's not really taught in schools. Right. Um, or at least in like upper level. He wasn't stuff. taught. Yeah. I was never taught him. Yeah. So like he, I think he's someone who's easily, easily to overlooked yeah. but he also is so relevant like being black being gay right being an outsider in like being an american in another country right. like he has so much to say about so much so many stuff. things exactly <laughs> and he's a deeply empathetic writer like yes. that's what i like the i had never read such specific nuances of r- relationships like true nuances <laughs> of right. relationships that he writes about like to friendships to romantic relationships mm-hmm. to uh, uh, parental relationships that he like he writes about it so precisely right. that it's both like overwhelming and it just makes you want to cry. Right. And he doesn't use a lot of words. Yeah. His books aren't like 400 pages. He gets it done like in a sentence and you're like, whew, yeah. I need to read that again. That yeah. sentence, like a few times. I did a lot of that. Yeah, like going back and being like, wait, what? I need, like, this cut too deep, too quick. Like, I need a second chance. Yeah, it's too astute. I couldn't yeah. take it all in. And totally. I don't think I took the whole book in. No. I mean, for it's a book that's fewer than 200 pages. Yeah. And it still took me a week to read. Yeah, so good. What are you reading right now? I just started Jane Smiley's um, Duplicate Keys. Okay. Um, I like Jane Smiley. I haven't read her in like, 15, 20 years, okay. I had read A Thousand Acres that I think she won the Pulitzer Prize. Mm. And I read Moo, which was a great sort of campus book. 
Um, but I read those like when I was 20 years old. Right. Um, Interesting. And I love, like A Secret History, I love a book about a group of friends that have to contend with something. Got it. Um, I'm less interested in books about family because I'm less interested in my own family. <laughs> <laughs> They're great. I just don't, like, there's not a lot of drama there. Sure, sure. Um, but groups of friends are so fascinating to me because you're not stuck together. Right. Like, someone could walk away at any moment. Right. Um, so Jane Smiley, this book is, I think, from like 84 or 85. Um, it's about a group of friends, two of whom are murdered, uh, and they don't know who did it. And it's about how the friendship the friendship group can stay together without these two at the core of it anymore. But it's also about the music scene in the 80s and like what it means to move to New York from uh, uh, Minneapolis or not even Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay. Where it was like you're suddenly in a big city, which in 84 was a huge difference. Um, so far, and I'm like halfway through, the most striking thing is there's a scene towards the beginning where one of the friends who is uh, doing a little better financially than the others has them all over and he brings home Chinese food. And she like lists off all this Chinese, like all these <laughs> dishes that he got. And so she's like, he must have spent at least $25. <laughs> oh, my God. $25? Eighty dollars yes. today. Oh my! Ugh, I love that. What, uh, but it's a really good book. Okay. What's something that you're looking forward to reading, or whatever is on your? To- I know your list is long, but like, my what are the things long. that you're kind of like at the top? I know. I sent you my list. You did, my and it was long. It's great. It comes from reading uh, the New York Times book yes, review. Of course. I'm like, oh, this looks good, and this looks- so I throw them all on this Amazon wish list. There are a handful that I think I wrote down a few of them that I am really looking forward to, but. Mostly it's like I want something different to what I just read. Right. Um, and my my um, what I want to do this year, my resolu- reading resolutions this year were to read more books from before 1980. Right. Because um, I don't think I read any last year from that weren't contemporary okay. or at least somewhat contemporary um, and to read more books by non-white authors, which I did OK. I could do more um, and to read more short stories um, and short stories like I'll read the reviews and then I'm like, oh, this sounds great. I mm-hmm. have to read this. And I'll never read it. But I two, don't like short stories too much. This, My wife says this too. but I like essays, but I don't like uh, short okay. stories I, for whatever reason. Anyways, but which ones are on your um, list? The two that I've I've put um, Her Body and Other Stories. Okay, I've heard that's great. Yeah, by Carmen Maria Machado. Uh-huh. I've put it on my Kindle like three times. Okay. I haven't gotten to it yet, <laughs> so I have to do it, do it and read it this time. And the other one is... Friday Black. Yes, we're so. Have you read this? I we did it on the show. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, kind of. It comes out next Wednesday, but it'll oh, okay. be out by the time this right. conversation is oh, over. Good. Maybe so, that will spur me to write. Yeah, it it's great. It. And and my friend who I did it with, he's an actor, and for whatever reason. The book like really landed with him and he understood all the stories and I did not understand a lot of the <laughs> stories. So like it's a really good episode because he got it. And I feel like nice. a lot of people were either loved it and got it or were like, this is good. I'm confused, which was me. So I'm ex- it's really great. What, I, I mean, I'll listen to the podcast, but what about it didn't you get? The stories are like pretty satirical and I'm not great at reading satire and sometimes I get too literal. And Mm -hmm. so I think I miss like the bigger picture, the bigger metaphor. And so sometimes I was like, I didn't get it. And then Wade would be like, oh, it was it was about like being a writer. And like it was about (laughs) and I was like, oh, Oh. I was like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's just not I'm like such a nonfiction reader normally. And I like like very history and like literal stuff. So sometimes when I read satire, I'm like, 
I miss funny. this completely. That's really funny. So, but it's it's really good. The writing is cool, and yeah. the, the guy who wrote it, Nana, he's only like twenty nine or something. It's he's super young, and he's super interesting and like a cool. Like you can tell if he's the future of writing. Like we've got good stuff coming that, for yeah, sure. That's awesome to hear. For that's sure. kind of what the review felt yeah. like, and like it's rare that you read a review that's like so electrifying that you have to read that book yeah the book is that electrifying i don't think the book is the book was not like five stars for me Mm -hmm. but the idea of him writing yeah like in five years that book will be totally insane but i think like just like everything else your first book is never your best like you've got to figure out who you are and what you're saying and how to do it so i think that's a conversation we're going to want to have when we talk about um the world only spins forward yeah I'm excited. Okay, I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, okay. Anyway, so those are a couple. Um, and then there's this, I love the, most of the nonfiction I read is about um, behind the scenes of creative endeavors, mostly TV and film stuff. Uh, and there's an oral history of The Wire that is mm. out. Uh, it came out a couple of years ago. Yeah, that I I've remember been waiting that. to rewatch The Wire before I read it. I need to watch The Wire before I read it. I know. I've watched it. the first season and then I, I'm notorious for stopping shows after the first season. Like, I, I can't Don't tell give you. give yourself a break. So, like, Ozark, didn't finish. Mm, you're fine. Um, Handmaid's Tale, just the first season. Mm, you're fine. Like, basically any show on television <laughs> now, only the first season. Should we do Except for Grey's Anatomy, in which I've watched every single season and many of them multiple times. And it's my favorite show. And I will not take that judgment personally because I love Grey's. <laughs> People love, I've never seen one episode. Well, that's why you're judging me because you don't even know what you're missing. It's I know amazing. People love it. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. I can't even. Uh, I feel like we should do a podcast where we have to swap TV shows, and I'll watch. Okay. and you'll watch The Wire. <laughs> this would be amazing. I'll literally be like, I fell asleep. I couldn't get through it. Um, what is a book that you like to recommend to people? This is a good question because recommending books is hard. It is. Um, I so I do this writers panel podcast, mm-hmm. and I rarely have. Uh, book authors on it because the thing about books is there's so many of them Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. few people read so few of them. Yep, correct. Um, So it's hard to find a thing where everybody can get on board Mm -hmm. for one book. Like Gone Girl was such a crazy phenomenon because everyone was reading reading it whether you were a thriller person or a romance person or a literary person or whatever um, that like that kind of book is rare. Right. Um, so I tend not to recommend Interesting. books except unless I can have a conversation. Right. It. Sure. And say like, it's, it's always weird to me when someone is on like Facebook or something. It's like, hey, what is a good book I should read? And, like, and you're like, I don't know you. Right. Like that. And people start recommending things like you don't know if she'll like that. Right. Yeah. So I always ask like, what are the last few books like, that what you, do you absolutely like? love? Yeah. Um, and that will at least help me guide something. Um, but that said, like if you like a contemporary literary thing, my favorite book from last year was Little Fires Everywhere, oh. which I know everyone has read, but I hadn't. I have not read it. <laughs> it's really great. I read her first book and I didn't love it. So I was like, eh. really? but again, I don't love fiction. So like fiction yeah. has to be very plot driven for me. Mm-hmm. And my understanding oh, of Little Fires Everywhere is that it's a lot about the characters and their inner workings. When. Yeah, it is. But it's also real plot. I think that's what 
she does really or did really well. I haven't read her. I read her book, first book. I kind of don't want to. Uh, it was My fine. My wife's going to read it and then it tell me fine. how it is. I don't know. It's just I, that's not really a genre that I love. Yeah. So it's I, it's rare that I pick it up just out of on my own. What is the fiction you've read recently? Novels that you've loved. I really liked There There. Did you read that? That is, not, that is actually one of the things I'm looking forward to. I which really was like liked low down there, on my there. list. And then my wife read and she was like, you have to read this. You'll so really like good. Yeah. I loved There There. That so, was probably my favorite fiction It's four weeks out book. at the library though. I mean, that's okay. Four weeks isn't that long. It's only a lot a of things on hold. Let me tell you, I've been on hold for Michelle Obama's audiobook <laughs> on the library. I'm at like 21 weeks. I'm like, sh- truly, she could be president by then. <sighs> What's your ideal reading setup? Like, how do you like to read on a perfect day? Can I ask you something? Yeah. How do you like to read on me? Does, I, it, does anyone ever turn this around? Sometimes on you? people do. All right. So you've already answered this. The listeners. I don't know. Now. I think I don't know. I love to read on an airplane. I love to read in my bed with my tea. And it being cold outside, like very blanky, fully blanked up. But sometimes I fall asleep doing that. So I actually set an alarm on my phone for an hour. (laughs) So if I fall asleep, I don't, you know, I'm not like sleeping all day. That's hilarious. But also now that I read so much for this show, I'm not reading so much in my ideal setup. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of times I have to sit at a table and read so I can stay awake and like really focus and take notes and all that sort of stuff. Whereas like I use, you know, like I love to read in a bathtub. I love to be loungy reedy. Mm-hmm. That's me. How Let about me, you? On an airplane. Oh, okay. Why do you like reading on an airplane? Because nobody's like looking at me or talking to me. Nobody cares about me. Everyone's like avoiding me. But I like, <laughs> I don't know. I just like, I know that I don't ever get internet on the airplane. I can't mm-hmm. be on my phone. It's just like uninterrupted reading yeah. time. That's why my wife loves working on an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> She'll like save work when she knows she has a three hour oh, flight smart. or something. I hate being on my computer though. And me too. So I'm like, no, I, But you. I can't read on an airplane either because I'll get a little motion sick. Like oh, I just, uh, especially during takeoff and landing. Yeah. All I can do is just sit and like with my mouth open and watch a movie. That's so funny. I'm like a very nervous flyer. And so I have to be reading because if I'm doing anything else, I'm like being like, oh my God, we're going to die. This oh, is no. the end of it. So <laughs> what's your ideal reading setup? I will usually read for like an hour or 90 minutes before bed and sometimes for like a half hour or an hour in the morning. Which yeah. Is really nice. That's a good my time. My wife and I have gotten into the habit of like whoever is up first. We have a coffee maker with a timer on it. Mm, so it perfect. goes off at okay. like 730, 8 o'clock. And whoever is up first will go and get coffee and bring it to the other in bed. Mm. And it is the best. Mm -hmm. And the dog that we have will sleep until like (laughs) 9 o'clock. Perfect. So we'll like read for 30 or 40, whatever time we have. So that's really nice. But I discovered my favorite reading situation. Okay, go for it. I can't wait. Um, For the first time in 14 years, I didn't go with my wife to her family's for Christmas because we had a sick dog and I wanted to stay and I had a lot of work to do. So it just made sense to stay home Mm -hmm. for those six days. Um, And over Christmas, it was really cold in L.A., Mm. as it is now. Right now. Um, And the power went out in our neighborhood just for the day, but I didn't know how long it was going to be. So I was like, all right, no TV. I can't work. I'm going to read. And my Kindle is like battery is full. So great. Love it. So I sat and read a bunch of graphic novels I had put aside and whatever book I was reading at the time in like our front room, which has a big window. I sat on a big chair. I had a blanket over me as it was getting increasingly darker and colder over the course of the day. And I just kept like refilling my teacup. It was so nice. And I was literally there for like 12 hours. Yeah, it's kind of great when you have no contact with the rest of the world, which is what makes the airplane so good. And I read in airplane mode. 
a lot of the yeah. times. Like I'll put my phone on airplane mode when I'm reading. I think it's smart. Yeah. It's Which, so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to get distracted. Man. Okay. What's the last book that made you laugh? I am often recommended funny books. Okay. And I do not like funny I books. I hate funny books. Right? Mm-hmm. What is, I've been, I've had trouble talking about why. I, it's not funny. Right. <laughs> like if it was. It's like someone's trying too hard. Yeah. Cause writing, I, funny, I feel like, I don't know. People say they laugh when they read books. I, I don't really. I listened to um, Tiffany Haddish's book and that was funny, but I'm sure if I had read it, I would have been like, these are dumb jokes. Yeah. There's a big difference. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I've listened to some audio, especially memoirs of like performers or whatever. Yeah. And that can be funny, but I do like, and I talked about this earlier, like I like a book that's offhandedly funny. I like right. a book that's funny because the characters have a sense of humor. Right. Like Richard Russo is so good at that. Mm-hmm. To me, he is the funniest writer. Interesting. Um, because the writers, uh, the characters just say funny things that are not jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lori Moore does okay. that too. Have you read Lori no. Moore's short stories? She's incredible. Okay. Um, she's someone who got me interested in short stories okay. as a form because she's perfected them. And they are funny and they're sad and the characters have wit mm-hmm. but don't make jokes. Got it. Um, That's the, more my speed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I recommend Birds of America, okay. um, which I think is sort of her masterpiece of short stories. Um, and her novels are not very good. Like they're fine, but she's just one of these people who's so suited to the short story form. Mm-hmm. It's like in music, uh, Amy Mann or Elvis Costello, like songwriters with a sense of humor, mm-hmm. but who are not Weird Al Yankovic. Right. You right. know, like that's the difference. Right. Yes, totally. Uh, but I think for the actual uh, last book that made me laugh, oh, there's a great book, a great nonfiction uh, work that I read this summer called The Only Rules It Has to Work, mm. Our Wild Experiment Building a New Kind of Baseball Team. Oh, interesting. Um, and it was so funny because of the circumstances. Uh, it's about these two statistics guys who worked for the baseball prospectus, who were given the opportunity to run an indie league baseball team based on their statistics mm-hmm. stuff instead of like the way you actually run a team. Right, right. Interesting. Uh, by being, you know, in in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, so the, and the indie league is like, it's, they're college students who couldn't make the professionals Right. They're people who sort of washed out of minor league or they're pro players who uh, have aged out of professional but still are good enough to play. Right. So like at one point they had Jose Canseco on their team, which okay. was like this weird little Napa Valley team. Right. That's um, <laughs> and it's just like they had the first openly gay ball player who for being in that indie league is is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Right. Um so they're great characters sort of like clashing. And as these guys are faced with their theoretical baseball knowledge, um, clashing with actual baseball playing, there's great comedy. It's like Bad News Bears uh, plus Moneyball. Right. <laughs> oh, really man, I fun. love that. It's a great book. Okay. What about a book that made you cry? Oh, I'm an easy cry. Okay. A book is harder to make me cry because there's a remove. It's right? the same thing with book funny. I yeah. feel like it's harder to make me cry oh. or laugh when I'm reading. Um, but I'm embarrassed to admit, um, the last book that made me cry is a book called My Best Friend's Exorcism. Okay. <laughs> which I read a bunch of horror books last year because I've been doing okay. a bunch of horror things. Um, and 
I had like this was sort of on all these like best horror lists. Okay. Like this sounds terrible. Right. Like the t- <laughs> Correct, based on the title and based on the cover, which is <laughs> like an 80s style cover. Perfect. But it came out maybe three or four years ago. The author is Grady Hendrix. And it's a remarkably moving story about mm. friendship um, with like it's about a, a girl, a 16 year old girl in the 80s whose friend goes through a trauma that trauma happens to be that she's possessed. So it's using metaphor I see. to tell the story about friends. And it was really moving to Aww, me. It was very that. sweet. And he's a great writer. Like I judge that book all wrong and I can't wait to read his other stuff. I love that. Yeah. What about a book that made you angry? <sighs> there are a couple kinds of anger to yep, have. There sure are. You can pick one. I'm going to pick two. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Right? There's like bad anger and there's good anger, anger like the book is bad and I'm mad that I read it. Right. And then there's also like I can't believe this injustice in the world that I'm reading about. Exactly. That's usually how so, I kind of break it down. Exactly. So the the bad anger of like I can't believe I wasted my time mm-hmm. on this was Stephen King's most recent book. Okay. Which like he's the only author I feel okay about saying bad things about. Because this. he's like so prolific and you he's like doing him. Fine. Right. Like no problem here. And he's written like some of my all-time favorite books. Okay. Um I I but he's a machine. Yeah. And, you know, it's like when you make 22 episodes of a TV show, a few are bound like, to are be not going to be great. Right. Okay. Um, but I had put off reading his most recent book. What's it called? Out- it's called The Outsider. I would say Outlander, Outsider. <clears throat> I put off reading it because I was like, this is going to be my reward when I finish reading oh. a couple books from research. And then I got into it and I was like, it's such a bummer. It's just mm-hmm. not, it's not a good story. There were some nice bits in it. There were some good ideas, mm-hmm. but it just... And I don't know why I read it all the way through. I should have just bailed on it. I'm getting better about that. That's hard to do. Uh, But the book that made me angry angry. for good reason uh, is my friend Nell Scoville wrote a book um, called Just the Funny Parts. Okay. And it's about being a woman in comedy. Mm. Uh, She started out writing for Letterman. Uh, She's been around, you know, she's been writing on shows since the 80s. She wrote on New Heart. She wrote on, um, she created the Sabrina the Teenage Witch series. Um, So she's been around in this boys club of Hollywood for a long time and she talks in a very honest and very funny way about what it was to be a woman and how she was treated especially like the Letterman stuff is tough it's interesting and and Nell co-wrote um uh lean in okay uh, so, like, she has her her feminist bona fides. Got it, got it. Do uh, you, she's a great writer and she's very funny. It's I really recommend that book to people. That's awesome. So, do you are you a sports person at all? I like baseball. Okay, so I was just listening to another podcast, um, and it's about sports, and they had Doris Burke on, and she's a woman commentator, hmm. and she actually does like NBA basketball games. Um, and it was really interesting hearing her talk about kind of like she got hired as at a job and. The, the man who did it, I think it was for uh, college basketball, was like, this is my person. This is the person I've picked, Doris Burke. I don't want to hear a word about it from anybody until March. And she basically said that was the only reason because everybody called immediately to be like, no, 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 no. And it's like you think about these pioneers, these women pioneers, or you know, it could be yeah. a person of color, it could be a queer person, it could be whatever, but these pioneers who literally have to have someone who's like, this is my person, like yeah. that you need like a like a guide into the world. It's just, totally. it's enraging, of course. Of course. Because Doris Burke, Burke is so amazing. Right. She's the best basketball commentator. Like, sorry, Mark Jackson, get off my TV. <laughs> You're horrible. But anyways, so I, I'm sure I would love to hate that book also. 
Yeah, but and the nice thing about it is, and again, like I read a lot of these sort of behind the scenes and right, Hollywood right, things, right. is like she's a very funny writer and sure. she's a very funny person. And right. Like, she makes it such an easy read and her rage is so funny. Right. That you're just on board and so mad. So on mad her for behalf. her. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. What about a book that you felt like you learned a lot? I think, and this was an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Um, look, that baseball book, I learned a lot because I sure. don't know a lot about indie league baseball. There's that kind of right, learning. Of course. Lot, right. Like I feel, I feel like I learned a lot um, in this Angels in America book that we mm-hmm. read um, because, and we'll talk about this later, but I hadn't read the play. I didn't know anything about Interesting. This. Okay. I knew it was the AIDS play. Yeah. I thought it was a musical. Okay. Um, oh my God, I'm so excited to talk I'm about it. I'm not a theater person. Okay. <laughs> but right. it was on my list because I love that kind of behind right. the scenes thing. Um, but I feel like I learned a lot about writing and the creative process uh, through that book. Yeah. But I also feel like, why read a book if you're not going to learn something from it? Sure. You know, like, totally. I, I think I get something from any good book mm-hmm. I read. Um, you know, like Little Fires comes to mind. This book I read last year, Euphoria by Lily King, which was another one of my favorite books that I read last year, comes to mind just because it's taking me to a world or a perspective that I, I don't experience in my right. life or that I hadn't experienced in another novel. Right. You know? Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, I feel like I learn something with everything I read, but then there are some books where I'm like, oh my God, I learned so much. Like, I feel like I didn't know anything and now I'm a genius, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. I think like going back to Giovanni's room, I feel like I learned so much about, and I could never do it myself, but about how to write the specifics of the human condition. Totally. I'd never seen anyone write like that uh, and put such beautiful language to such difficult ideas. Um, like, and that's what makes me want to read more of him so I can learn more of that and start to take it apart a little bit. Right. Are there any books that you're embarrassed that you've never read? No, I don't think people should be embarrassed by not having read books. It just means you never got around to you it or there yet. it's not for you. Right. You know, like, I don't think I had an answer to this. It's okay. Um, I had an answer for books I'm embarrassed to have read. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> give me one of those. My writing partner and I wrote a series of young adult novels a few okay. years ago <laughs> that was our first prose writing um, for like professional prose writing, they are a series of Star Wars novels called Join the Resistance. Um, they're fine. If you like okay. Star Wars, you'll like them. Okay. Mm. But going into that, I read a bunch of young adult books. Mm. And I had read young adult stuff on and off anyway because it's always there's always interesting stuff going on mm. there. Um, but I read a book called Undead. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, Undead by Christy McKay, okay. which is... I don't know why I'm embarrassed to have read it. It's about vampire zombies. Okay. And like these kids in Scotland. This is a few years ago. Um, I really liked it. Like to read a book that is pure plot. Right. It was a lot of fun. Right. And it's a trilogy. And I kind of want to read the other one. Do it. But I'm a little embarrassed to. I feel like the embarrassed to have read books are almost always books that you've read that you feel like aren't written for you that you enjoyed. Like no one ever tells me a book that they've read that they're embarrassed about that they hated. No. Like it's like, because it's like, I'm not embarrassed. Like I hated that. So it's like, there's like (laughs) stuff like mine's like always like, you know, Hunger Games or something. But like, no shame in it. But like, I mean, I don't actually feel embarrassed about anything I've read. I'm like, I finished a book. What did you do today? Like, don't, don't judge (gasps) me. That's a good point. That's kind of like just generally my personality. You know, this book, Undead, was sort of in the Hunger Games mold where like 
I and I enjoyed reading Hungry. I yeah. think I read it. You read it in a day, and yeah. like it's a plot machine. And it's so fun, and I love yeah. plot. I'm right. here for plot. So for me, it's like this is great. I don't generally like young adult. But this worked for me. It was about killing kids. So I was like, I can get on board with yeah, that. I'm here like, for that. The <laughs> other one, which I'm embarrassed when I tell people, but okay. I had a good reason for reading it, was Jeff Probst, the host of Survivor, yes. wrote a series of middle grade books okay. called Stranded. <laughs> and they were good? I wouldn't say they're good. But they were like entertaining. They're you were like likable. Right. Um, I had Probst. I'm a huge Survivor fan. Okay. Um, we I had Zeke on the podcast. Oh, Zeke, Zeke is great. Yeah, yeah. Zeke's an LA person. We read Less, the Pulitzer oh, Prize winning book. Great. I didn't like it. He loved it. Interesting. I mean, I liked it fine. He loved it. My wife felt the same as you. Like, she liked it fine. It was fine. But did not flip over. And the other people in our secret book club uh, who read it did like it. So yeah. I don't know. It's very mixed. Um, but I had Probst on the writer's panel because I loved Survivor. Mm-hmm. And he was great. We talked for like 90 minutes about storytelling. Um, but I felt like he's written these books, right. but his name is on them anyway. Right. But right. he really did write them. Right, right, right. Um, I should, I should read. Them. I should read at least mm-hmm. one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fine. It's likable. Like it would be a good kid series. Okay, I'm going to ask you two more questions. I'll allow it. What's one book you've read that you'd like to see turned into a TV show or movie or something? Since you are a TV show or movie or something writer, I have a long list of these All books. Right. And I know sometimes people get weird about they don't want to tell me. Right. Can, can you tell any? I can tell you. Okay. Because um, I will, like, if I read something that I really like, I will immediately text our agent and be Got like, it. who has the rights Who has the rights? There was a book, uh, it was a YA book I read a few years ago um, by Patrick Ness, who's a really good writer, um, called The Rest of Us Just Live Here. Okay. Have you heard of this book? Mm-mm. It's great. And I think it's being made into a TV show already. Okay. At least the rights weren't available okay. when I checked. But it's about... Basically, all of the other kids who live in a town where like Twilight and Buffy and like all these huge dramas are taking (laughs) place. And it's like the kids who are like, well, that's not my life. Why was there a demon at school yesterday? That's so funny. really charming. Oh, I love that. Um, And then most recently, this baseball book, um, uh, I it's such a great story. And it had like it feels like a movie when you read it because it's so rich in character. And there's such an arc to this. These guys story that I'm I'm trying to get the rights to that right now. Awesome. So listen, if those guys are listening. Please let us make this movie. <laughs> okay. And then my last question, which is my favorite, which I stole from yes. the New York Times by the book. If you could require the current president of the United States to read one book, what would it be? Here's the thing. Go ahead. I'm sure you've had this conversation before, mm-hmm. but he probably doesn't know how to read. That's correct. So this question, a lot of people are like, oh, you're picking on the president. This question no. was the question yep. from the New York Times before our current totally. president. So this question used to pull out some like pretty amazing yeah. book recommendations, You're- like things where I would be like, oh, what a genius book recommendation. And our previous president is known for having read and totally. he releases these amazing reading lists. Yeah. His most recent one came out yesterday and it had like five of my all time favorite oh, books. Really? Oh, really? Was- I didn't see it. It was for his My Brother keeper initiative it was the five-year anniversary so it was like all books about like black people so this great book called stamped from the beginning that i love i don't um, know tell me about that oh my god it's about the it's about the history of race in america it's nonfiction mm. and it's so major it's by this guy named ibram kendi he's like one of my heroes he changed the way that i see race and for someone who spends their whole life seeing and talking about race as a mixed person growing up in like a very liberal place mm-hmm. it to have my experience changed so much was like pretty big because it's not like I'm coming to race like into post Trump's election being like, 
I didn't know I was white, you know, like, cause there are those people and that's fine. And I'm not judging right. you. But for me, someone who grew up in the Bay area with like a pretty militant dad and I have a Jewish mom and like race and interaction and all that stuff was always part of my life. Yeah. So this book was like, <sighs> oh, that's cool. I'll look for it. Yeah, it's so amazing. And then he also put um, The Fire Next Time by James Baldwin mm-hmm. on there. He put Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, which is about, oh my God, also amazing. They're making it into a movie, 2020, Michael B. Jordan. <sighs> Babe. Oh, yes. I did write about it. When that was announced, I read about yes, the book. Yes. So that okay. book, um, another book that I think Oprah and Ava DuVernay are turning into a TV show, or maybe not Oprah. Ava mm-hmm. DuVernay is on it. It's called The Warmth of Other Suns, and it's all about mm-hmm. the black migration. So all these great books were on the list. Oh, cool. Which is to say, this question <laughs> about the current president, hopefully in a few years, <laughs> we'll be talking about another president. Well, here, my answer was, if there was a book that was like the equivalent of the VHS tape in the ring, that's what I wanted to I don't read. know what that is. In you, the ring? You watch it and you die. <laughs> What is it? Oh, (laughs) perfect. That book would be ideal in the ring. All right. Well, that's it for us today. Next week, Ben will be back. We're talking about The World Only Spins Forward, which is The Ascent of Angels in America by Isaac Butler and Dan Coyce. It's an oral history. Um, Check it out. Ben, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. That's so awesome. And we will see you guys in the stacks. Thank you all so much for listening and thank you to Ben Blacker for being our guest. Ben is back next week to discuss The World Only Spins Forward by Isaac Butler and Dan Coyce. Remember, you can get your own personalized book recommendation read on the air if you send us an email to askingthestacks at gmail.com. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join the Stacks Pack and earn great inside access to the show like perks and book club and more, go to patreon.com slash the stacks and join. For one-time contributions, you can go to paypal.me slash the stacks pod. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, will you please take a moment to rate and review the show? Our graphic designer is Robin McCrae.